Hello and welcome to the Bilderbard Workshop. My name is Stephen. And my name is Simon. We're not experts, but we're here to take you through building a character in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. We have a list of rules that we work from when building a character which are as follows. We'll be randomly rolling a race, class and subclass using D&D Beyond's randomizer feature and seeing what we come up with separately. The goal is not necessarily to build the most efficient character, but to build an interesting one. It has to be a level 5 character, with a minimum of 3 levels in the class we've been assigned. We use standard array stats so that anyone can replicate these builds, and the standard racial bonuses. Not because we agree with them, but because it's part of the challenge. We'll be using official D&D branded Wizards of the Coast books only, excluding books written for specific worlds like Rick and Morty, Critical Role, and Acquisitions Incorporated. Feats will be allowed instead of ASIs, as will optional class features from Tasha's. To reflect that they're level 5, characters will have their class and background starting equipment, 100 gold to spend on gear, and one uncommon or lower magic item. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. So, I really enjoyed this one. I came to enjoy it. I didn't initially think that I was going to have any ideas. I didn't feel like when I started doing it that I knew what I was doing putting it together. Mm -hmm. But then I've discovered a character trick and I've discovered an absolutely horrible combat trick as well. I'm I'm fully expecting you to tell me won't work for some reason because that's... I don't want to be bad. No, no, I'm not saying you're the naysayer. I'm saying you have a better understanding of how the rules interact on this. So I've had this idea and it seems like it will work to me. I'm, I'm fully expecting to find out that it doesn't. Okay. Yeah, so the introduction to this is we are doing the Kenku Wizard Blade Singer. Yes, Kenku Wizard BS. Kenku Wizard Bullshit. As opposed to Tasha's Cauldron of Bullshit and everything else we have. One of the things that did occur to me, just from a fluff perspective Mm -hmm. about this with the Kenku, is the Kenku has changed since Morden Kanan's Multiverse of Doctor Strange. Featuring WandaVision. Yes. And I don't know how it looks in the book because I haven't seen the physical copy of the book. But on D&D Beyond, there is bugger all information fluff wise about the new Kenku. Mm -hmm. It literally just says you are putting together these features because you are a bizarre alternate sort of race that you're putting together. So you have this choice, this choice and this choice. So I did in the character builder specifically. Uh, yeah, when you're in the character building, it's got the little link there that says click the, the details yeah, yeah, about yeah. the Kenku. So I had to go and look up the one from Volos, and that informed a lot of things about how I put the build together. So, did you want to talk about themes, or what, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with yours? Do you have like a strong theme for yours? Accidentally, I did. So, you might know this. I really like the Domains of Dread. And the reason I really like the Domains of Dread from Van Richten's Guide to Bullshit is that for a beginner, I think the ability to say, this is the boundary of my adventure. You know, this is the big bad guy that you've got to deal with. Find a way of dealing with it. I think for a small campaign or a one-shot or whatever, I think it's really, really good. Yeah. One of the things I really love about Van Richten's is the fluff associated with yeah. it of the, of the current book hmm. and they talk about the keepers of the feather and they talk about were ravens oh and the okay. keepers of the feather are originally are from Barovia which is where Ravenloft is and they are a community of were ravens who recognize that Strahd is a knobhead 
and are trying to bring several things together and they're, they're very sort of um, looking for profits and for Ouija boards and things like that. Oh, okay. Right, they're, they're very sort of um, spiritual in that regard. So I kind of took that and ran with it. So this is a Kenghu who has found himself in the Shadowfell and he was adopted by some Shadarkai, which are elves from the Shadowfell. Oh, they're elves, okay. I'm aware that this might have changed from one version to another. I was trying to add an appropriate language to my Kenku, and the only thing I could find out online about what language would they use in the Shadowfell is people were saying, like, you could have the Shadokai language, which isn't a choice on D&D Beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you would be saying, you know, the, the, the Shadokai dialect okay. of, of Elpish, yeah. So originally I was going to go for a bounty hunter <laughs> who... Um, who likes, of course you were. Yes, of course I was. Who <laughs> likes um, uh, hunting aberrations, because there are aberrations in the in the Shadowfell. And the more I thought about the Shadowfell, I went, well, what about the Shadow Kai? Because that would explain why he's picked up wizardry, mm. and specifically blade singing, because blade singing is traditionally in D&D an elvish art that has been taken on by others. So why would a Kenku know this? Well, the Kenku would have been raised by Shadow Kai. And then I thought, well, what else is in the Shadowfell? Oh, the Domains of Dread. So this isn't my theme. I've actually done the work this week. The character is a Kenku who has wandered into the Domains of Dread, seeking adventure, after being trained as a blade singer. And then he is seen by these were-ravens who are like, well, you know, you have to transform back because we can't let people... The, the were-ravens are very powerful, paranoid. The Keepers mm. of the Feather are very paranoid. You need to turn back. And he's like, I, what do you mean turn back? I'm just... This is how I look. So they accidentally see him as some kind of prophet or potent symbol. And really, he's just wandering around trying to have some fun in an adventuring type way, not in a any other type way. So yeah. yeah, that's who the character is. So the history on mine was kind of fuzzy. And I'd had them adopted by goblins because, again... In a similar way, I'd, I don't know why it seems to be the natural thing for Kenku to be adopted by someone. <laughs> to be fair, it's probably some sort of osmosis thing from watching Critical Role with Kiri. Probably, yeah. That, probably. You know, Kiri was basically adopted. So. Yeah. yeah. With Croc, who is the, uh, the Kenku that I created, um, ah. the inspiration was drawing from how much it changed from Volo's to Multiverse of Madness. It's not Multiverse of Madness, it's Morden Kanan's Multiverse, and I need to learn the rest of the title of that. Multiverse of Monsters. Multiverse of Monsters, yeah. You can say Multiverse of Madness. Multiverse. We're not yeah. earning any money, we can we're not snitch s- from Marvel. We're not sponsored yet. I think with the Kenku that I did was that the differences between Morden Kanan's Multiverse and Volo's version, I imagined that as like an actual in-universe breaking of the curse that affects Kenku. Oh, right, okay. So up to a certain point, this was a Kenku who could only communicate via mimicry, who oh, had the Volo's backstory right, and right, stuff. Right, 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 right. But the curse has been broken for for all Kenku from this sort of point forward in the universe. So this is a Kenku who is adjusting to the fact that it can now speak mm-hmm. and, you know, now has all of these extra abilities that are conferred by, by multiverse. But one of the things that I did like from Volo's is the idea that they're from the Shadowfell which 
accidentally is what inspired the mechanical trick behind mm -hmm. this build. There was also a lot in there about how they miss having full wings and they've always wanted to be able to fly and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that inspires some of the choices for spells. So that sort of character-wise, the trick behind the build. Shall we do the stats, skills and everything breakdown of the construction of the build? Okay, so should we just do stats? Where yeah. did you put your 15? So I did use standard array. Hey! 15 went in intelligence. Okay, I think I probably did the same thing. Just because it's a wizard. A wizard did it. Yeah, and a blade singer. A blade singer obviously has, has an effect on this as well. Where did I put my 15? I put my 15 in intelligence. We might have gone for almost the same it 15 in intelligence yeah. your 14 goes in constitution like i always say that's the law that's it's not just the law stephen will come to your house and poo through your letterbox if yeah. you do anything else <laughs> i put a 13 in dex 12 mm -hmm. in wisdom 10 in strength uh eight in charisma i reversed the last two so i've got eight strength I, I, ten charisma i almost did that i decided to just be different this week yeah yeah i think it makes sense with where you go with a blade singer just because you're at a severe risk of being in a situation where you don't want minus one on a strength check if you accidentally hit a barbarian or you hit someone who grabs you in combat you don't want to be at minus one. I mean, it's... it's you don't only, want to be at minus one, regardless of the character, but... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's only a minus one, so it's not going to make that much difference. But still, I can see an argument for swapping it round, for, for having it the other way around. Yeah. Mine was pure whimsy. Like, yeah, you know, I, I usually put an eight in strength, so... Do you know what? I think the last two builds I've done have had an eight in strength. So, I, you know, I just wanted to change it up. There's no grand plan <laughs> on that. Okay. Since you mentioned the wings... I was going to take the gift of the metallic dragon intelligence because that gives you a pair of wings and there's like something there's there's some other thing that you can do with it it's actually gone out of my head so I apologize for that but yeah it's a really cool little thing you can you gain wings and I was going to reflavor it as you know it's it's actually um Raven Queen's gift so that he oh, can okay, fly again yeah. and, and that kind of thing mm. which would have been much more interesting than what I did but in the end I came up with something else I, yeah, but yeah I took an ASI as well yeah I'd just like to apologise to anyone with especially sensitive speakers there's nothing I can do about the car alarm in the background unfortunately oh it's gone there you go um, I took acrobatics as a skill and thinking about it I probably could have put my 8 in strength because you can use acrobatics to get out of a grapple yeah you can and that's true if I was facing a wizard I'd want to grapple that wizard so wizard cannot move their arms and cast spells at me or cannot move away, etc, etc. Or has to use a misty step to get away. You, you see what I'm saying? They have to do something hmm. else other than cast fireball. Or if they are going to cast fireball, they can't cast it at me. Obviously, I put it in arcana. If you're an int-based class, you're going to choose arcana. Basically, if you're any magic class, you're probably going to choose arcana. I could see a bard not doing so, but yeah. There's been a lot of situations I've encountered with DMs where the DM has saved a character from making a stupid decision with a spell by saying, make an arcana check, and then if they pass the arcana check going, your character would know that the spell doesn't do that. The, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've seen a lot of DMs use arcana to help guide players. Like, if a player has detect traps and they're all stood at the bottom of a corridor going, well, how are we going to get through this? How do we know if there's traps here? You know, the DM can go roll an arcana check and then just go, you've got detect traps, you knob. You can do that. I'm sure I've done that before. 
if there's anything to do with magic, you know, interpreting the results of detect magic or things like that, there's so many things that a good DM can do to help a caster with the Arcana stat. I just wanted to bring something up because I looked at your your stats just now. I did a think, a whole one. Where did you put your ability scores? Plus two in intelligence, obviously. I think the plus one, I'll just double check this. Must have gone decks. No, it was on decks, yeah. Okay. To get decks to 14. So I used Volo's rules. So I've had to build mine around the plus two to decks and plus one to wits. So my level up. I put one in dex and one in intelligence. Mm. And my wisdom is a 13, which I was happy about because there is a play you can do as a blade singer where you take one level of monk and you take that level of monk so that you can actually do something with your bonus action. Yeah, because that was a problem I discovered with this. There's really not a lot oh, you but, can do. Yeah, you know, I was going to take the telekinetic feat at one point to give myself a bonus. There was just so many things. Unfortunately, I'm not smart enough to work out how to use the telekinetic feat to do the five foot boop into a uh, area of effect spell. But when I am smart enough to do that, you damn skippy, it's going to be on there. So yeah, just looking at the totals, I've managed, because I used the Morden Canaan's rules, mm. I've managed to get an 18 in, in intelligence and a 14 in dexterity, but mm-hmm. you have managed to get 16 in dex and intelligence, which, considering what you're doing with the character, is probably a better spread. I'm not sure that's true, and I'll tell you for why. My thing is immediately, as soon as you give me a, a class, a subclass, I'm like, how can I multi-class this? That's what my brain mm. does. It's immediately, how can I multi-class this? I decided instead that I was going to go straight cu- wizard with this and thus needed the boost to dexterity to make weapon attacks count. See, that's the choice you have to make with this character because the other thing about Bladesinger is your two attacks don't hit till level six. Yeah, one level so later. So with most of these level five builds, the reason we're looking at going straight level five, especially for martial builds, is because you get those two attacks. But the interesting thing about Bladesinger is you don't get it until six. So if you, you were... also don't for the Valor Bard or the Swords Bard or there's something else which gets it at six. Someone yeah. will tell me. I'm sure there are other things with that, but generally with these builds, one of the things that we look at in terms of whether you go five levels in this is also similar to what we were saying last week about whether you're playing it for a one shot whether Mm -hmm. you're playing it to stay at level five or whether you're looking to progress the character with this if you're playing it as a character you're going to progress onwards you kind of have to take the five levels because when you get to level six that's when the two attacks kick in which is a big bonus usually we leave multi-class until the end yeah but let's do a little quick thing there are mm. so many great multi-classes that you can do as a blade singer. Two levels of fighter to get action surge, mm-hmm. and also to get martial weapons proficiency, so that if you find the sun blade, you can use that, etc., mm-hmm. etc., et because it counts as a finesse weapon. Taking one to three levels of rogue, so one just to add a d6 of sneak attack damage, and three to pick up arcane trickster, so that your spell casting isn't too far behind. Uh, you can also take three levels of fighter to get Eldritch Knight, if that's what you want to do. There's lots of cool things you can mix and match. The other thing you can do is the Artificer, three yeah. levels of Battlesmith, so that you can then enchant your weapon. You can infuse, I should say, your weapon so it's a plus one, and then you can use your intelligence for attack and damage rolls, and you just go straight intelligence. But because this character was going to be straight wizard, and I that was what I decided on, I went for the plus three dex and the plus three intelligence. 
if you're a level five wizard, you hit your level three spells. Absolutely. So that's the other thing to consider yeah, yeah, yeah. about that. And there was no way I was giving up Fireball just to get a bonus action D6 or an extra D6 as a rogue or, or, or whatever. The first episode, I said, I've put a level of ranger on this because by level eight, I will have five levels as a monk three levels as a Gloomstalker Ranger. Yeah. That's the build. I didn't want to go, oh, yeah, well, I'm taking two levels of fighter and having third level spells and not doing anything for those two levels. That You get something with one level of Ranger that you don't get with taking one level of something else this low early in the game, if that makes sense. Can I tell you why I chose this spread? Yeah. So, I did some calculating. Mage Armor is a 13 plus dex. So when I cast Mage Armor at the beginning of the day, because it lasts eight hours, why wouldn't you? My armor class becomes a 16. And then when I blade song, becomes 19. And then I took a cloak of protection as my magic item. I did as well. So it's 20. Oh, I wasn't expecting us to do that. So it's 20. And then, this is my cheese. I took the spell mirror image. I did as well. <laughs> so that I can't be hit. Yeah, it, it's... I'm surprised we both came to it's that It's weird because it, the only thing that I did different to you is rather than mage armor, you get light armor proficiency. So you can get pretty much the same result. I think I can get up to 18 or 19 AC uh-huh. while blade singing with light, light armor on. So wizards get arcane recovery where they can claim a first level spell slot back. It might even be second level spell slot by level five. Oh yeah, I know about that one. So mage armor at the beginning of the day and then you get your spell slot back anyway. I don't see why you wouldn't. Some people might say because that first level spell slot could be used better used somewhere else. But someone gave me a quick breakdown of different spells. And they were like, hey, mage armor is always better than whatever you can get mundane armor-wise. So if you were to take this character to level 20, or roll really well and end up with 18s in, uh, in dex and intelligence, you would have... It'd be it'd be thirteen plus your dex, so that'd be eighteen plus one for the cloak of protection, which is nineteen plus five intelligence would be an AC of twenty four. Run me through the calculations on mage armor again, because I thought it was a base AC of thirteen plus your dex. It is. Okay. Studded leather is twelve plus dex, I believe. So it's it's one difference. It's one difference, but I was determined that this blade singing crow bloke called Alinar, and it was the one the D and D Beyond gave me. And oh, I, okay. I liked it. It sounded, it sounded kind of like, I don't know, kind of it had that ring to it. I'm going to have to acknowledge that that's a character name from... A-L-I-N-A. Oh, right. There is a fantasy series yeah. which is based after the apocalypse and uh-huh. mankind has fallen apart and then diverted into different races. And there is a character in that called Alinar. It's a really famous series. It was converted for TV. It's got that lass of uh, Home and Away on it. I see. Yeah, because I watch Home and Away. Um, whilst you're looking that up Channel 5 oh yeah skills so I've got my my big skills are acrobatics arcana history investigation and stealth okay I thought if they're from the Shadowfell that made sense the Shannara Chronicles there's a character oh, the there's a character Chronicles. called Alinar in the Shannara Chronicles that's oh, okay, what's okay. driving me mad so you you mentioned you had some cheese yes is this like just Gruyere or is this full on Gorgonzola if it works it's horrible so, we said in the fluff about this character coming from the Shadowfell. Yeah, yeah. So when I was looking at level 4 for the ASI and the feet, obviously I looked at Fey touched because I thought, since we have to use Bladesinger, I thought we could make a Warlock with extra effort by having the Fey touched feet and having Hex and Misty Step. But, obviously the fluff says they come from the Shadowfell, right. so I chose Shadow touched. 
which allows me to take Inflict Wounds, which is a level one spell that... I thought you took the ASI. Sorry, I, I didn't take the skill point increase. I took a feat when I got... The, oh, right. At the, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I took a feat at the, the ASI thing. Uh, sorry, should have made that clearer. That's right. So I took that. And that allows me to cast Inflict Wounds because it's Shadow Touch. I get a free cast of it every day and mm. then I can use my regular level one spell slots to do it. So according to D&D Beyond, and this looks wrong to me because if this is right, it's horrible. I can do 3d10 damage at first level. No way. Yes. According to this, make a melee spell attack against a creature you can reach. On a hit, the target takes 3d10 necrotic damage. At higher levels, when you cast this spell using a spell slot of second higher or level, the damage increases by 1d10 for each spell slot above first. So you're doing 3d10 damage at first level with a first level spell slot, which you can get back on a short rest. That's nasty. So if you do a couple of these and then you have a short rest... You don't need a weapon. You don't need to worry about having a rapier that's got the finesse skill so that you're using your dex to hit. I mean, you can't use a shield because of the way Blade Singer works, but you can just run up to somebody, grab their face, and just rot it off them. Um, That's pretty nasty. It is a pretty horrifying thing, and like I say... It's equally horrifying because Arcane Recovery is when you finish a short rest, you can choose expended spell slots to recover up to a combined level of three. So you can get three first level Level spell spell slots slots back. So you can do three uses of this in combat, three lots of 3d10, and then assuming anything's still alive. (laughs) Especially at fifth level, that's pretty pretty decent. Yeah, so you're getting three three uses of this back and... I couldn't really work out any way of justifying having a good character doing this. So I think that sort of affected the character and personality things. I also just like the idea of like, I chose small creature types. So just this harmless, cute little (laughs) raven just (laughs) running up to people and just grabbing their faces. With his beak. Yeah, their Ah. face just rotting off in front of everybody. And then, I mean, there's no specific cause fear in the build, but I imagine it would have a very startling psychological effect on things to see this. That's the horrifying trick. (laughs) I I love it. The horrifying trick that works with it. I feel like there was something else. Did you, um, whilst you're looking that up, Mm -hmm. did you take rapier as your weapon you get proficiency with? I did, yeah. Okay, I just want to point something out. We are correct there is very little you can do with your bonus action. However, you can pick scimitar mm-hmm. and pick up two scimitars and have your bonus action be the offhand attack. Yes. Do, do you always want to? Maybe not. The thing that I have to keep remind I had to keep reminding myself whilst making a blade singer mm. is that it is a wizard first. Yes. It is a wizard that can do combat. It is not a barbarian. <laughs> yeah. It is not a barbarian and sometimes I get a little bit carried away. And I think, oh, and then I can do my favourite trick that I do with Erin or one of my other combat characters, where I can chuck them in there, they've got a high enough AC. I could have taken Warcaster, mm-hmm. but you kind of get Warcaster light as part of being a Blade Singer, where yeah. you can add your intelligence modifier to it, which is like, do I really want to give that up? One of the things that I definitely thought about this build was the hit points are a real problem, as wizards kind of should be, in the sense that you can cause yeah. 3d10 damage. If you Anything, take 3d10 damage. Yeah, if, you take, <laughs> if you take any kind of damage from something that's going to be challenging for level fives, you're going to have a real problem, which is why to bolster that, there's not much you can do about saving throws. But then there's not much you can do about saving throws as a wizard anyway. anyway. 
which is why the cloak of protection is so important yeah. because that bumps all of those saves up as well by one again there's other things like i did take shield and absorb elements as spells did i take both no i only took absorb elements yeah as i said i took mirror image because for anyone who's not familiar with the description of it each time a creature targets you with an attack during the spell's duration roll a d20 to determine whether the attack instead targets one of your duplicates so I think when it says targets you with an attack, does that include spells that you have to make a save? Yes. So that gives you a very valuable extra buffer to being hit. It's not going to save you. It's going to save you from, it's potentially going to save you from plane shift. Oh, you sorry, use... explain plane shift. Okay, so I might have got the wrong spell. I'm pretty sure it's plane shift. I'm not doubting you there. I'm just saying partly explain for anyone so listening pl- who plane- doesn't know, but also I'm not familiar with that. Okay, so plane shift, it's a seventh level spell. So this is like a level 13 character. You've got a real problem anyway if someone's trying to plane shift you. Yeah, yeah. I believe if you try to banish an unwilling creature to another plane, you make a melee spell attack. I was right. I was reading the first two paragraphs of it going, nope, 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 nope. Um, yeah, the last bit is you use a spell attack and then if it hits, the creature must make a charisma saving throw, which is really, usually, spells are make a roll or they make a roll. They're yeah. very, very rarely make a roll, then they make a roll. Uh, but yeah, there we go. The other thing that I had to take, one of the third level spells was Vampiric Touch. And I took False Life at first level as well because you are going to need to heal as a fighter you can let your health get low and just think oh i'm gonna neck a health but because the buffer is so low Mm. in terms of your health points you need to stay near top and this is why i concentrated on ac yeah a level five a 20 ac is actually quite good your fighter probably doesn't have that or if they do they've spent all their money to do it yeah and this is gratis you know this is no money spent oh What did you take for cantrips? Cantrips. So, Booming Blade, it's... I like a bit of flexibility in the cantrips that I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I can see this as a situation where... I don't know, in a situation where we've run out, or you specifically need to stop someone moving and being a problem, Mm -hmm. or you want them to to be a problem when they move. It, It just gives you a bit of extra flexibility. I took light because I don't think they have dark vision. They might not. I took mind sliver because it's always a good one to take. They don't. Few things have resistance to psychic damage. I took mind sliver as well. And you've also got the subtract 1d4 from saving throws. A lot of the spells that I've taken are force the other person to make a saving throw because you're going to be in close combat. Mm -hmm. So you don't want disadvantage on your to hit rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the final one, Toll the Dead, because it's 2d8 that you can use. it. So if I can't do my horrible 3d10, I can at least do my horrible 2d8. Yeah. I took Mage Hand and Prestidigitation, other than Booming Blade and Mind Sliver, because they're useful. Yeah. I, I shouldn't have to justify that. Yeah. Mage Hand and Prestidigitation. There is... I always like to take one out-of-combat functionality one, because now that Cesare's dead... Don't make me feel bad for that. I've, I've done my feeling bad for that, man. One of the one of the builds that I did ages ago was Perdition, who was mm-hmm. a fighter, but I took uh, Magic Initiate so that I could take... I think I took Mage Hand and minor I ended illusion. up... I took Minor Illusion initially, but my wife, who was DMing at the time, was kind enough to let me change the cantrip after a few levels to Prestidigitation. 
And I think I had one use a day of shield as well, which is just silly for a fighter. <laughs> but that was mostly because with fighters, there's not a lot of skills that you can contribute with outside of combat. So it was just so that I could have a character who felt a bit more useful in non-combat situations. It's always worth thinking about if you're with a group who are going to have long roleplay sessions mm. outside of combat. And you don't want to just be the big dumb fighter stood there going, I'm going to stand by the door so no one escapes and then say nothing for the next half hour, you know. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've not got anything crazy on there. I took Gentle Repose, which I didn't realise was a wizard spell, but yeah, I took Gentle uh, Repose. That's Tasha's added that, didn't it? Still not sure how I feel about that, honestly. I think thematically I don't think it fits. Just for survival reasons, it's good to have another class who can go, that body's not dead yet. I kind of feel as though it would be crude to say that the paladin and the cleric are the only people who should have gentle repose. You know, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The barrier between life and death. And it kind of makes sense from a sort of stasis point of view, gentle repose. But I almost wish as though there was a arcane equivalent that was less functional in some ways and more functional in others. Sort of like how sorcerers sorcerers get divine soul and then that means they're sort of specialising in the, the healing side of things. You know Wither and Bloom, which does damage to one and transfers that energy to another. Or I kind of wish that instead of Gentle Repose, there was Wizard Spell that gave you a similar thing. So yeah. it, it can't be... What does Gentle Repose... The corpse for the duration, which is 10 days, I would say half the duration, but also allow it to be used as a... You know, you can use it in combat to block someone from healing. Yeah, um, so for a troll regenerating, okay, my friend's died, use wizard version of Gentle Repose. That person can't die or decay, and this enemy has to take a saving throw, or mm. or the enemy that killed it can't regain hit points for one turn. That kind yeah. of thing. I think just, the thing that's interesting about it is how it doesn't bring them back to life. It just hits pause on the timer mm. for bringing them back to life. I think in a situation where you only had a wizard who had gentle repose, it would be a situation of if somebody died, you'd have to stick them on the car or in the bag of holding and drag them back to town or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to where you could then find a cleric. And even then, if you can't find a cleric, arguably, the wizard just waits until you get to like nine days in and then casts gentle repose again to extend the deadline. I've got to keep a, um, a tally of how many days you spend without... That's true, yeah. Cesare. Although he's in a bag of holding after being gentle reposed, so in theory he shouldn't decay at all. I don't know. I, I, do we consider him vacuum sealed? It's a pocket dimension. Nothing else can get in or out. I'll let the internet tell me about that. But yeah, I didn't take gentle repose. Made sense as someone from the Shadowfell. Yeah, me. yeah. Again, because I've never really built a wizard before... Every time I tried to read through the rules, they started to feel like they were getting more and more complicated. So I think you happened to say something earlier in the week that made me look up the way ritual spells work, which is you have them in the spell book, but you don't have to have them prepared. Yes. I think it was you said something about load up on ritual spells. So there's a couple of them. Well, can I explain that? So Simon was a little bit confused because sometimes D&D is confusing about how the spell book works. And specifically, you get six spells at first level, yeah. and then you can add two to your spell book for every level after first. And someone's like, you know, do I do this level by level and work out what I can take when and blah, 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 blah. 
and I said, here's what I did, Simon. I took the five or six spells that I really wanted and then just clicked ritual spells for everything else <laughs> so that I knew I had them. I do not think that's an effective way of making a wizard usually, but usually you probably wouldn't be starting at level five for a campaign um maybe for a one shot and in that case i would definitely do that like these are the spells i definitely need and these are a load of ritual spells that have a use i just i, I don't want to be farting around uh i didn't take tiny hut but i did take skyright I, I was probably having some sort of moment and went oh, i don't know where else to <laughs> skyright uh, i took tasha's mind whip as well well that's always a good one it's a second level it's a second level spell but if you cast it at third level uh you can target one more creature yeah, that's one of the things I found. When you're a warlock, taking spells, because I mostly play my main caster character as a warlock, taking spells is really easy because you level up and you get a new spell and you can change one spell from before. Mm. So you take your second level spell, so if you're going to third level spells, you take your second level spell that doesn't rank up, you know, doesn't get an extra d6 damage or whatever, and then you just find the nearest equivalent <laughs> at third level or something that fulfills a similar role. With a wizard... You're looking at it going, yeah, but I need something that upcasts. And maybe this is a warlock thing, like a hangover from playing a warlock for a while. Mm. But I am keep going, no, but where's the, when does it level up? Where, where do I get the next one? And um, you don't. <laughs> this is what I've learned. Well, one of the things about um, oh, that's why I took Tasha's a- Mind Whip, the interesting thing about that is it's, it's a single target damage spell that the side effect of it is they can't take reactions, can they? Can't take a reaction, yep. Can't take a reaction. Does it do anything to their... They can either move, action, or bonus action. Right, so essentially, as well as doing psychic damage to one target, which is always good, you can effectively hit one target with slow. Or if you upcast it, you can hit two targets. In a fashion, yeah. Is it just for a turn? In a lot of the games that I've played with you, I've never really found that there's enough targets to justify casting slow on an area. Because it's... Six targets within a 40-foot cube or something, isn't it? The problem with that, Simon, is that it. I often feel limited to what miniatures I have. And that's yes. probably a bad way to DM. No, honestly. not at all. I think that's that's the realist, without getting political, at the, at the moment, not a lot of people have the spare income to buy several minis. I mean, I've got a lot of minis that I need to paint. You've got a lot of minis, <laughs> but you are limited by by what you can do unless yeah, yeah. unless you're doing like I can't remember what the name of the product is, and we're not sponsored by them. But some little cutouts, yeah. ones that you can get little flat cutout ones that you yeah. stick into a thing. That might be a temporary solution that people can come up with for for multiple things. But I've found in a lot of the games we've had, there's not been enough enemies to justify using slow. And obviously, with if you upcast Tasha's, you're doing psychic. To two, you, you do yeah, psychic yeah. damage to multiple targets as well. And if you're lucky enough to get your hands on a ring of spell splitting, or you're playing as a sorcerer, you can twin it as well. You can't twin. Well, it you can't twin level. an upcast. Yeah, you can't twin an upcast one. But if you don't have the third level spell, you can twin a second level to hit two targets. Yeah. And unless you have a DM who uses hordes of goblins, or I have a horde of goblins, yes, yeah, but... who uses sort of like horde enemies and things like that. Unless you have a situation where you've got a lot of enemies that all happen to be sitting within a 40-foot cube, a lot of the time, Mind Whip is probably going to be more functional than Slow is. Essentially, at that point, they're all minions. 
and you can cut them down in one hit. Or fourth fourth edition had that whole system. It had the minion it? thing, yeah. yeah. And it's a rule I like, and it's a rule that the um, the dungeon dudes recommend using. And I think that's a difference between fourth and fifth. Is fifth definitely seems to be about building a narrative. Yeah, fifth edition is a role playing game first, and a mm. and a combat simulator second. I just think it becomes less flexible. Like, but there's nothing wrong with that. For yeah, some people, if that's the, what you want, that's, that's nothing that's wrong with that. I, I don't want to slag it yeah, off at all. Yeah, like fourth ed, the way that I've seen the system implemented in Pillars of Eternity, I think I've said before, I would not be able to keep up with working that out at a tabletop. I yeah. should specify both me and my wife have dyspraxia. We have dyscalculia as an aspect of that. Yeah. We're not great at calculating on the fly. No, no. But, you know, you, you can have these systems and you can say they are great, but also equally acknowledge that not everybody is going to be able to do it around the table. And more importantly, if you can't do that, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be allowed to play. No. Nobody should be gatekeeping anybody playing D&D. If you can play systems like 4th and keep up with them, fantastic. More power to you, more, genuinely. Yeah, more power genuinely. to you, genuinely. Enjoy it. But don't, for God's sake, look down on people who say, I play 5th because it's streamlined, and that's not necessarily a bad thing in terms of who it lets come to a table. There are so many people who are getting into 5th because of the accessibility of it. Yeah. Ginny D was saying just the other day, no, I think it was actually Jacob from XP to Level 3 said it first, that one of the things he hates is that when you talk about homebrew and how much homebrew you implement, someone will go, well, you might as well just play a different system. Should we go to break? Yeah. Let's go to break. We'll talk about other stuff. Oh, dear. And we are back. I'm about to sneeze again. Nice. Oh, it's one of those that hasn't come in yet. Hang on, but look at the light. I'm going to leave this in. No, don't. Because I'll sneeze and that'll look like a um, clap. And you'll be like, no, I've got to remove that. <laughs> um, I want to talk about a third level spell. I can see you've taken Fly and Vampiric Touch. I've taken Spirit Shroud. Talk me through Spirit Shroud. Right. Spirit Shroud, really, it's for Paladins. Because by level six, you do your two attacks and you get extra D8s on top. What does this spell do? Because it sounds vaguely familiar, but it's not ringing any I, I should have taken it for my Warlock for the last two levels, and I didn't. Mm. And it's basically held me back the entire time. I could have been doing more damage. That Erin, shouldn't be possible. Erin's but... pretty good. You call forth Spirits of the Dead, which flit around you for the spell's duration. The Spirit's intangible and invulnerable. Because the spirits. Until the spell ends, concentration up to a minute, any attack you make deals 1d8 extra damage when you hit a creature within 10 feet of you. So okay. even if you have a pole arm, you can still use this. This damage is radiant, necrotic, or cold. Your choice when you cast the spell. Wow, okay. Because you're going to know what you're facing, so you're going to... Yeah, 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 yeah. Any creature that takes this damage can't regain hit points until the start of your next turn. It's kind of like miniature spiritual guardians. Kind of. That's going to upset someone. and It's not quite. There are similarities. There's similarities. Because it's... Depending on how many attacks you do, it isn't just a straight amount of damage that it does. So, when you're a naughty warlock or paladin and you take Spirit Shroud Mm -hmm. and you have a longsword that is 2d8 for every attack and then you smite on top naughty (laughs) hexblade warlock I should you know I should point that out hexblade warlock it's a problem yeah it's it's a real problem yeah and they can't regain hit points so goodbye trolls for this build it's a little bit pointless until you factor in booming blade because at 5th level booming blade does an extra d8 of thunder damage so it's a d8 of piercing damage from your rapier a d8 of thunder damage and a D8 of Radiant Necrotic or Cold. 
your choice. Okay. Say the first attack is 3d8. Part of a blade singer's special extra attack at six is that they can use one of their cantrips as one of their extra attacks. That's when the two attacks kick in. Now, if you take the dual scimitar build that I said way earlier in the podcast, you can use booming blade, and I think you can <coughs> attack as a bonus action with your offhand scimitar. So that in theory should be booming blade one d six plus two d eight plus one d six plus one d eight. Uh, if you do the twin thing, if you just have the two attacks, yeah. that's booming blade, which is three d eight plus your next attack, which is two d eight, which is an insane amount of damage per round. So what was that thing about the using the cantrip? I'm going to look this up so I get the exact wording and don't make a tit of myself. That would be helpful. Well, that's what I mean because Toll the Dead is now in your list of cantrips. Why would you not be doing 2d12 damage if they've already taken damage? Because if you can use a cantrip instead of a weapon to do a weapon attack, why would you not be doing 2d12? Toll the Dead, you get your 2d12 if they've already taken damage. You would then be able to do another attack, which would be 1d8. With Spirit Shroud... Mm-hmm. I do Booming Blade, which is 3d8, and then I get another 2d8. And 5d8 is more than 2d10 plus 1d8. It depends, because the, the math gets complicated, because it's a d8 until you damage them, and then it's a d... It's d12. Okay, so assume they have taken one hit point of damage. 2d12 plus 1d8, compared to 5d8. It's 2d8, unless the damage, it takes 2d12. The die type becomes a D12, so it's, it would be 2D12. Why I wouldn't have Spirit Shroud and do Chill Touch is because that would be 2D12 plus 2D8 as opposed to 5D8 total. Hang on, because the average on a D4 is a 3, the average on a D6 is a 4, D8 is a 5, D10 is a 6. D12 must be a 7, so mm. that would be 7 plus 7, 14, plus 5 plus 5, so that would be 24, versus 25 for 5D8. It's, a, it's one point, but then you factor in also you would be adding your dex mod twice for both attacks. Oh, yeah, you would. Yeah. yeah, because that's how Booming Blade works. So it's not just dice. It's the whole package. And of course, if you do decide to take your two levels of fighter and add dueling fighting style, that's an extra two on top of that. Which I guess is the, the weakness of using the Inflict Wound spell, because potentially it's 30 damage per attack but how likely are you to do that full I mean the average is 18 I say only that's really good but the average is 18 but again you can't really play Dungeons and Dragons for well you can play Dungeons and Dragons for the average rolls if you want it's more exciting to play it for those moments when you roll, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. for those moments when you roll high or the DM rolls low. I mean, that's that's when it's more. That's when it's sort of exciting. Yeah, really. my thing with Erin is I did a one v one with a barbarian and I won because mm. I got a crit and I what did I do? Let me remember the round. Oh, they attacked yeah. me first and I shielded and then I attacked them and it was a crit and I put my Eldritch Smite into it and I basically went nah and obliterated yeah. one hit. I took them out, which is you know crit fishing. Lots of people don't like crit fishing. They say it's a bad thing to do because you mm. can't rely on crits. And you can't, but it is really fun. It's interesting because it, one of the things that this Blade Singer reminded me of, because of the low hit points, it kind of reminded me of the monk character from Diablo 3. Right. He's Here's escaped. Pod Dog. Here's Pod Dog. 
come to say hello. Hello. Come on then, mate. Hey, buddy. Oh, not my face, please. No. In uh, Diablo 3, the month, there is a build where you get health back when you hit and one of the abilities they have is a hundred-handed hit, which is where it does ten hits in short succession that are very weak hits. Mm -hmm. But if you stack all of your abilities that give you a chance of something happening on hit or give you a chance of getting health back on hit, what you have is this terrifying late-game build where the edge of your screen is constantly flashing red to say you're about to die but you're constantly getting health back from hits. Right. So you have this bizarre thing where you have like, I am probably playing it completely wrong and I'm going to get screamed at in the comments, but the way that I found to build it is to do that crit fishing trick where the more hits you are putting out per round, the more chances you have of getting an effect go off on hit. So this kind of reminded me of that where what would be really useful for this character would be something that gives you health back when you do damage because you, you kind of you really need the healing with mm. it and it just reminded me of the low threshold on the hit points it really reminded me of that monk character where you end up playing it with just the edge of your screen constantly warning you you're about to, to die, die. but yeah. that's kind of the way you have to just get used to that playing mm. that character because one substantial enough hit from a big elite character will just keep taking you down to the, the edge of the damage threshold and then two or three of your punches will take you right back up to nearly full health again. Well, if I was going to change this build, we're not nearly near that part of the show, but no. uh, if I was going to change this build, I think I would add Vampiric Touch or False Life. Yeah. And, and I decided to omit them. I feel as though it was a mistake. I probably should have taken them. Well, this is one thing that I thought up going forwards that might be an idea at the end, is how would we combine the two builds as well as looking at what are the best features of the builds is like is there anything i thought up that you would go i would definitely have that and like what would we come up with as a sort of combination of the I two i would 100 percent do that inflict wounds thing i didn't go in looking for that i literally just because kenku has the background of coming from or being connected to the shadow fell historically i looked at it as okay so they're probably going to be shadow touch let's have a look through this Oh, inflict wounds. I remember that being surprisingly good when somebody used it. So I looked at it, shit myself a bit, and then realized again, because if you get three level one slots back on a short rest, you can abuse the hell out of that spell. Can you Especially not upcast it. You can upcast it. You can. You can it can be upcast. So you can you can cast it but using higher level spell slots. It's three D ten at level one. But when you cast it using a spell slot of second level or higher, the damage increases by D10 for each slot above first. So you could cast it at level three. Is it actually on your level three spells? I turn off the level scaling so I can just see that's a level three, that's a level one spell, and then I can click on it and see what it does when it's upcast to level three. Oh, right, three. okay. I might put that on mine, actually. That would... It does save a lot of scrolling. If you can just remember that upcasting is a thing that you can do. But yeah, so it, it's kind of like the discussion we were having ages ago about a battle axe being better than a greatsword. And I know this is a controversial topic. Oh, um, God. What was but, I trying you know, to say? A greatsword is... Oh, I don't remember what this was now. You are more likely to get an average roll with 2d6 because 7 is the most common number you can make with 2d6. I had whichever one of the great weapon perks things yeah. lets you re-roll one of the damage dice. So if you re-roll a d12... Yes. I'm sure there's statisticians and people who are versed in... Um, <laughs> Much smarter than me. <laughs> who are more versed in sort of the... 
probability. Yeah, probability. People who are more versed in probability will say it's exactly the same. You're just imagining it, but it it's not. feels like two d six is going to be two d six is going to give you the average more often than one d twelve is. You are more likely to get an eight, a nine, a ten, eleven, or twelve out of a d twelve because the chance is one in twelve. As opposed to the absolutely colossal amounts of ways you can make seven. Yeah, the reason I was going for uh, Greatsword or Maul, it was because I had the Great Weapon Fighter thing that lets you re-roll ones or twos on a damage dice. Yes. And that feels like it should interact better with 2d6 rather than 1d12. Yes, but that's what it's there for. Whereas the Barbarian, if you crit, you're more likely to get a big number on 1d12. And then you get to roll a d12 as well, yeah. I think, for Brutal Critical. So the it suddenly goes from... Yeah, I think my point with that is you could upcast, inflict wounds at 5th level, feel like you're being really clever, and score 5 points of damage yeah, yeah, yeah. if you roll really badly. And I don't think there are many perks that are easy to get that would let you re-roll spell damage. I cannot think of a... If I'm sure there are abilities, I just... I can't think of one... I've got something nagging in the back of my head that there probably is something that can let um, you do it's that. It's one of the sorcerer metamagics. And it's an empowered spell? That sounds right. I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, background. What did you take? Background in fluff. Yeah. So I've said from the from the fluff perspective, it's a Kenku who suddenly discovered the breaking of this curse on Kenku. Uh, I'm not saying that that is like... I really like canon, that. the way that Mordenkainen's multiverse has handled it, but that's the way I chose to interpret it for the universe that this exists in. Can I just make a quick yeah. addendum there? This is yeah. actually quick. I was having a chat with um, Pete, who runs Clockwork Dragon in Abingdon, and uh, I said, oh yeah, there's all the changes to Kenku, and he goes, they can speak now. And I said, well, the thing is, is it makes sense. Like, Kenku aren't stupid. You don't start a level one character and they have no words. Yeah, You know, like, they'll have been around people all their life. If you still want to roleplay your Kenku as only being able to mimic what they've heard before and repeat it in the same voice, that option is still actually there. You can use it for fluff. Uh, Obviously, a Kyrian critical role because you're dealing with a group of voice actors. There was one point we were watching uh, when they had the character of Kiri who was a sort of a Volos Kenko. Mm -hmm. Volos Kenku. Not the Um, coffee. Yeah, not Kenko Coffee. When they had that character, there was one point where I had to rewind the episode because my wife, who was looking down at her phone at the time, thought it was just Travis who'd said something. She didn't realise that it was Matt as the Kenku doing an imitation of Travis because there's this line that just sounds like Travis if you're not looking at the screen. And then everybody else kind of went, oh my God, in reaction to it. And so she was like, what? What did he say? So I put it back and I went, okay, watch the screen, watch what happens. And then she watched and it's, it's Matt doing an impression Mission. of Travis yeah. as Travis's voice, original as. voice as Fjord. Uh, yeah, the text. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the text blade. So, text blade. so she missed that a little bit. But if you were willing and able to do that, it could be interesting to have a, a Kenku who speaks in kind of broken imitations of other things that people have said. With the original mimicry trait, it doesn't really offer you any limitations on it. I think it says short phrases that they've learned from other people or something. I mean, I don't what's think that? It, it doesn't offer any limitations on how many of these short phrases you've got. So you could have originally had a Kenku who just spoke in this 
uh, odd collaboration of accents and oh, voices. God, I've just thought of an original uh, Kenku who speaks using TikTok voice. Oh, that's <laughs> awful. That would be horrible. By the way, I was totally right. It is empowered spell, and I feel is like it? I feel like a big boy. Nice. I've also just thought if you're thinking about weird feats, one of the things you could take for a later level build is Meta Magic Adept. And then cast transmuted spell so that you can turn your spirit shroud into acid cold fire lightning poison or thunder. Oh, that's that's because interesting. Because it's, yeah. it's cold, you can choose. It does say cold, so you choose cold and then transmute it into yeah for one sorcery point. Because it, it says that deals a type of damage from the following list. It doesn't say ah. the specific instance of that. So if you're fighting something that's weak to fire, admittedly it's the base elements. It's not. It's, yeah. uh, a thunder doesn't count as a base element, but you know what I mean. It's the normal elements as opposed to the psychic and radiant necrotic. But if you're doing my trick with Booming Blade and you're facing something that's weak to thunder damage, changing it to thunder damage so that you've got 2d8 of normal damage and 3d8 of thunder damage. Mm. If something's weak to thunder damage, which would be like um, some... I think some elementals. Some elementals are. You can blast through them. Absolutely blast through them. That's that tangent over with. Look at that. We're like a real show. Or, if you're looking at a higher level character who has another one, what does Elemental Adept do? Isn't there a Thunder Elemental Adept? There is. And that lets you do some weird shit with that as well, doesn't it? I mean, we're concentrating on Thunder, but it could be any of them. Yeah, concentrating on Thunder as the example, but... Spells you cast ignore resistance to thunder damage. Well, yeah, because you've cast the spell, so that would yeah. include... Yeah. So anything that's resistant to thunder damage, if you're using that trick, is no longer a problem. This is really nasty. Uh-huh. In addition, when you roll damage for a spell you cast that deals thunder damage, you can treat any one on a damage die as a two. <laughs> so your minimum has gone from... In your the minimum cape, has doubled. Your minimum has doubled. So your minimum is now taking the example of 2d8 thunder damage when you use booming blade the minimum is four and that's not worth sneezing at at all but yeah we found the one use for elemental adept (laughs) also just a quick one i get a little bit upset sometimes that sorcerer doesn't have a that melee subclass Mm -hmm. you twin spell booming blade just a little tip there (laughs) twin spell booming blade okay let's go back to uh our characters here oh background and fluff for my character. We were on background and fluff. We got distracted because I was saying about Shadowfell, Shadowfell perk. I think the point of that was I didn't go in looking for that interaction. I just no, found it great. because of the... Which is something amazing that can happen when you have things that are randomly decided for you is you end up looking at them as, oh, okay, you can do this, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You're looking at different things you can do. So in terms of the technical background section in here... I had Far Traveller as someone who came from the Shadowfell. Uh-huh. Characteristics, alignment neutral, I think mostly because I couldn't, I really couldn't justify having a good character who causes people's flesh to necrotize. I mean, there's never anything you can really say a good character feels comfortable as, doing. As long as, no. I feel like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a thing that a, a, a good, good character a good would character want would to do. do. No. What? Hey, buddy. What do you want? Hello. Oh, yeah, sit on me, why don't you? He's up again. He's up, He's again. up again. Come on, buddy. Um. So I went for lawful neutral, because yep. I believe that's kind of where the Raven Queen sits. Yeah. She might be chaotic neutral, but I always see Shadokai who follow the Raven Queen as lawful neutral. Yeah, because they're following the laws of of, of, the, of her, yeah. And I went for the sage background, which a lot of people will say is the cliche background for... Mm. Um, Wizards. A wizard, and I kind of 
wanted to make it make sense by you know raised by Shadar Kai and I think the Fortress of Memories I think it's called which is where the Raven Queen lives mm. has like you know a big library or an even a library of memories so that's kind mm. of what I wanted to do with that okay and then I wanted to give a reason for their low charisma and the personality traits are I am horribly horribly awkward in social situations <laughs> and I'm convinced that people are always trying to steal my secrets so there's like yeah. slightly paranoid researching yeah same Kenku same yeah. <laughs> what did you do for personality traits? I begin or, or end my day with small traditional rituals that are unfamiliar to those around me. I honour my deities through practices that are foreign to this land. If they're from the show. Wanting to yeah. fly, this is one of the other things that I didn't mention when we were going through spells. I took Find Familiar. Oh. In my equipment, I have enough to do two spare casts of it for when. I think I did the it same thing. Will get killed. Uh, and I chose a raven. And part of the morning rituals is letting this raven fly up in the air and seeing through its eyes so that the Kenku can oh, feel lovely. like it's flying. I like that. That's Just because of, little... again, the old uh, Volos fluff about how they were cursed and their wings were taken away from them. Yeah. So they, they all... They had a dream really nasty curse. Yeah, they did. So like their, their dream is to fly. Which, again, that's part of the reason I've got things like Featherfall. Yeah. I imagine yeah, yeah. this character just jumping off things and casting Featherfall that's whenever so they cool. can. So that they I can really feel, like that. They, so they can feel like they're flying. And obviously they have actually got, at third level, uh, the flight spell to be able to do that. Uh, so you, your ideals... Mine, mm-hmm. I've got suspicious. I must be careful, for I have no way of telling friend from foe here. Okay, um, I got logic. Emotions must not cloud our logical thinking. I kind of wanted to play into this. It makes Shadarkai kind of almost blunted emotions. It really makes sense as well with like a high with a high intelligence character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bonds. Do you want to go first? Though I had no choice, I lament having to leave my loved ones behind. I hope to see them again one day. I imagine for that the, for there to be this little family oh. of Kenku. Waiting for him to come home. As your DM, I would have how many children? How many um, children do you reckon? Nuclear family, boy and girl. 2.4 children? Yeah. Yeah. Does the Shadowfell have the weird time thing like the Feywild? I don't know. I don't think it does. Oh, no. You're not going to uh, interstellar them, are you? No, they'd be old. Oh, so he's going to come back home after the adventures and his infant daughter is going to be on her... Deathbed. Yeah. The other two died years ago. <laughs> Wife is a mouldering corpse. Oh, that makes it so much worse because I just imagined it as being like a nice family that he had at home and he's kind of sacrificing his... Comfort blanket to, yeah. to go out and... Yeah, so um, my bond is my life's work is a series of tomes related to a specific field of law. Okay. Um, this would lead into him going into the Domains of Dread to uh, discover what goes on in the Domains of Dread. And I might be half remembering this, but I'm pretty sure that the Fortress of Memories is actually inside the Domains of Dread. I might be wrong on this. It might have been half a line I misunderstood in Van Richten's. But uh, mm. that, that always appealed to me, the idea that yeah. she's hidden herself, not only in the Shadowfell, but like the worst part of the Shadowfell. Mm. And I think that with a, a wizard, it's nice to have a justification that's like they're out researching law on something, they're yeah. out researching a particular spell or a particular thing. Flaws. I pretend not to understand the local language in order to avoid interactions I would rather not have. I love the idea that <laughs> everybody still thinks Kenkus can only communicate through mimicry. So this Kenko, this Kenku just to mess with people just reverts to pretending they can only communicate through mimicry. 
just in a tavern. They're like, what's your name? Hi, I'm Barry Scott. Yeah, what's your name? <laughs> what's your name? <laughs> just... <laughs> Here's the thing about because this. Because it specifically says to avoid interactions um, I would rather not have. Thank you. So it's, it is like... When, when there's a conversation they don't want to have, they just pretend they can only mimic so that they don't have to have these awkward conversations. Man, I am... S- no, I'm not doing that. I chose... I'm e- easily distracted by the promise of information. And part of my uh, backstory was that this character's only, like, 17 years old, and him and another Shadokai, mm. male or female, I haven't really decided, are like, do you know what? Bugger it. Let's go yeah. into the Domains of Dread and see what's up. See, I chose... 15 because uh, sorry I chose 14 because I think one of the things that's difficult about filling out the height weight age and things like that section is it doesn't say all of this in modern kindness you have to go back to volos do you and look and I haven't seen the print version of what's in modern kindness and if it's different I apologize all it gives you is the stuff about you are generating a creature you can choose from these, these heights you can choose from this. It doesn't give you anything about the age, the weight, anything like that. Again, just on D&D Beyond, I didn't see that there was really anything about background. Okay, so I've just looked this up. In Morden Kanan's Multiverse okay. of Madness, so it, no, it doesn't. It right. just says, use random height and weight table in the player's handbook and choose the row in the table that best represents the build you imagine for your character. Which is really not helpful. Like, I would have had to go downstairs, pull several books off the shelf and go through them, which is all right if you're doing that. It's just D&D Beyond has the link there that is supposed to give you this information, and it doesn't. The one in Volos has, like, Kenku reach maturity at such and such an age. So it's a weird one because you have to kind of look it up separately. Oh, and the other thing is, at the time I was looking this up, the wiki that comes up as the first result on Google had been hacked <laughs> so the one site that, that basically yeah, yeah, repeated yeah. the information that was in Volos just wasn't working at the time so I couldn't look it up separately there as well why didn't you just go to Volos because you have access I temporarily forgot that I had I've got a physical <laughs> copy I've got a physical copy of Volos downstairs I just temporarily forgot that I had it oh bless you which is just the way my brain works sometimes and I think also because the link was there while I was generating it, I was also a little bit indignant at, well, it should show me here. Yeah, yeah, I can um, understand. But yeah, so I had to look all of that age, weight, height. I had to look all of that up separately. But one of the things that I discovered when I did look it up separately is it says Kenku reached maturity at about 15. They have shorter lives than humans. So if you're working on the age of your Kenku, it's going to be lower Oh, than a human so don't don't make a 50 year old kenku unless you want to have them like wizened elder kenku but you could do something interesting with that because the shadow kai look really old in the shadow fell which mm-hmm. is why they come to other planes so that they don't look really old and i've just worked out if they're if my kenku is 14 they're not gonna have a family could have brothers just, and sisters cousins yeah. could be a whole community of little kenku boys and girls so my language is i took common deep speech elvish and under common uh, I would probably change this, but I took common dwarvish and goblin because, again, when I had that sort of thought early on about them being, uh, you know, being adopted by a race, I just thought, what's the least likely race for them to get adopted by? Probably goblins. In which case, if they were trading with anything, it wouldn't be an easy trade. But the other race that they would be most likely to encounter would be dwarves. So well, you could always have. A goblin family, an adopted goblin family of brothers and sisters. That'd be fun. I like that. 
What's really interesting is that you've gone a little bit more mechanical this round, and I've actually gone a little bit more story. I actually wrote a backstory here, which I don't usually do for the show. I do usually do Read for my out. character. All right, Read okay. Originally adopted by a group of Shadokai, Alanar was raised under the shadow of the teachings of the Raven Queen. A soulmonger Shadokai raised Alanar as one of her own and gave him the skills necessary to look after himself. Being adept at learning, because that's part of being a Kenku, he was very quick to grasp the wizardry of the elves. He left with his childhood friend and entered into the domains of dread to put into practice everything he'd learned. Whilst there, he was seen as a prophet by the keepers of the feather who were mystified by his inability to transform, but interpret it as an omen for them to rise again. That's me butchering, I think, the keepers of the feather and wear raven slightly, but you know, I'm the DM for us, so yeah, this is my version of Ravenloft. Yeah, that's your interpretation of, of how those things work. Um, Equipment and magic item. We've both chosen the same magic item. And I yeah. think equipment-wise, we chose a rapier and some stuff to find familiar. The most unusual things I chose is the Far Traveller specifically mentions a music in- musical instrument yeah. for some reason, so I chose bird pipes. Oh, um, yeah, of course. I've got a crystal as an arcane focus. Uh, I've got a dagger from the standard equipment and a rapier that I bought separately. Spell book. I did think about taking... There's a spell book that's immune to fire and water damage. Mm. And I did think about taking that because I think if I was making a normal wizard, I would definitely think about taking that because it seems really annoying, the idea that everybody else is like, come on, let's jump in this lake, and you're sitting there going, no, my books. You know, <laughs> it, it does kind of have to deal with that. So it, it would be nice for that not to be an the issue. The worst part about that is that's both of us. Yeah. No, my books. No, my books. <laughs> Studded leather. Got a book, ink, ink pen, little bag of sand, parchment, small knife, charcoal, incense and herbs I added as a custom, custom item, item. Yeah. worth 20 GP just because then that two, that's two, two uses two uses of find familiar in case something happens to the raven. Poorly wrought maps from your homeland that depict where you are in Faerun and I mean obviously change Faerun to so, whatever well, setting yeah, you've yeah, got. Yeah, yeah. A small piece of jewellery worth 10 GP in the style of your homeland's craftsmanship. So that would probably be like a small piece of raven feather jewellery that like I say <laughs> I imagine his, his kids made for him. You'd have to make him a bit older, maybe like 25 Yeah, I think you, you'd, have to, you'd have to work out um, what... This, this, we're making a character a week, right? Yeah. And for some people, a character, my, my partner, a character is a major investment. Uh, my friend Matt, who... Listened, well, I've had to make two characters this week. Yeah, look, maybe Cesare shouldn't have... Maybe you guys shouldn't have waited for a Mind Flayer to come back. That's the one that still gets me. You're like, yeah, yeah, well, we, should, we should have run away. Bad decisions were made. Some horrible dice rolls happened. Yeah. And my character... I'm not actually mad about it i just for podcast purposes it's funny to <laughs> yeah it's it, funny to give me stick i, I agree it's, it's funny yeah. to I'm, I'm sure you like you've given me stick about bad decisions that cesare has made yeah. so you, you can't now give me stick for bad decisions cesare has no, made no because <laughs> <laughs> he's made so many <laughs> his bad decision led to his death i don't understand why i'm the one getting the stick for this his character gen was a series of bad decisions. So, uh, man, I don't think that's true. No, no, I, d- I don't mean that as, as in he was bad. Oh, right, the actual, I mean the, the backstory yeah. of Cesare is a series of bad decisions led him to the point <laughs> where he ended up being exiled to the magic school to sort his shit out. Pros and cons of the build. Yes, the major, the, this is our ending bit. What yeah. pros and cons? For me, the major pro is the first level spells back on a rest and using those to melt your opponent's face. 
The cons are, you are so squishy. You should probably, everything this character is good at, you should probably not be doing because I think that was the other reason that I had so many healing things in yeah, the build yeah. is because you are also going to need a healer who is so on the ball to get you out of trouble. You are probably going to need like a paladin with mobility or you're going to need a cleric who is absolutely watching your health like a hawk to get away with this. I would actually recommend that you take away of Mercy Monk because they can just heal, 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 heal all the time by about the same level that you are. Not quite. But by the time you get extra attack, they can heal you almost unlimited. If I was to sum up the weaknesses of the build, like I said about that Diablo Monk, in you're theory you're line. putting out a lot of damage, but you're also taking a lot of damage and glass cannons like that are better off generally at range. I don't think I would have necessarily come up with this build if it hadn't had the generated restrictions of Bladesinger. I almost feel like I have to use Bladesinger. No. I have to use getting up close. That's the thing. I, I want to point out, I talked a lot about the Spirit Shroud and Booming Blade, and we went on a whole tangent about that. Despite what I said, you are a wizard first. Mm. That is what you are. And I, I don't want to give anyone the impression that I have said, yes, you are now a frontline combatant. You can succeed on the front lines. Yeah. What it does give you is that you blade sing and you are harder to hit. You blade sing, and if someone comes up to you, like a minion, you can tell them to piss off. You are not a Nova. You are not yeah. a Paladin or a Hexblade Warlock. You are not an action-surging fighter. Mm. You are still a wizard, and that's the key thing to remember. You're a wizard. Control the battlefield first. You're a lizard, Gary. What? <laughs> Sorry, you're In a sign. Oh, yeah. I took Absorb Elements as opposed to Shield. I took both. I would do that. Just just because of the, the maximal fear in my brain of not just getting hit, but I, I think a lot of the big hitters are going to be using spells, which are going to be using elemental damage, yeah. which you can reduce. Yeah, I would do that. That's for things that change. But cons, the con is always going to be the health points, and that's why, and I'm really glad that we both did it, mirror image, as much armour as possible. Let's not lose our reds, though. That's the good thing about the Cloak of Protection, is it's a relatively common magic item. It's mm -hmm. not that difficult to get your hands on, but it adds to your saves as well as your AC. Mm -hmm. And the plus one to saves is, if you look at how much effort you have to put into your builds to get plus one on one particular save, getting that on all of your saves, saves is huge. Yeah, it's a huge thing. Um, and for a squishy character like a wizard, the other con which we should point out, is that Blade Singing Wizards are effectively a bit mad, yeah. multi-ability dependent. Now, if you take the three levels of Battlesmith Artificer, mm. this almost completely erodes. And I think the maths works out that you're only one spell level behind, so you can cast it fourth, but you can only learn third level spells. I think it works out roughly like that. Then you can just go Intelligence and Constitution. And if you start out at Artificer 1 and then do the rest as Bladesinger or Artificer 3 and then go Bladesinger afterwards, that's worth it, potentially. But having to look after your decks, your con and your intelligence. Mm, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's kind of like the, the problem Arcane Knights have. They need intelligence to, to cast their spells. As you well. mean Eldritch Knights? Eldritch Knights, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, Lots of people say Arcane Knights and I'm Wrong. sure it's... Written Wrong. down as Eldritch Knight. That was probably an older version where it was Arcane Knight. But yeah, the Eldritch Knight, with that, you've got three key, three key stats to look after, which is... 
I know most classes have you do have three key stats to look after, and obviously, one thing that I always have trouble one thing that I I have trouble resolving when I build things is looking at my saves when I'm done with the stats and thinking, oh, if I get hit by a charisma based spell, I'm screwed, or if mm. I get hit by intelligence based, I'm I'm screwed. But again, that's you can't have a build that's good at everything. What I would really. say about the Eldritch Knight, which is also a viable multi-class for your Blade Singer, mostly just so that you can get three levels of D10 hit dice. I've just thought of something horrible, but go on. Okay. When you're a fighter, in a way, you don't need to concentrate on constitution as much because of how large your hit dice is. And as an Eldritch Knight, you also don't actually need that high an intelligence stat because you're not you're using spells to buff yourself and others. Your intelligence stat is mm. completely... Uh, it's not even secondary. It's completely tertiary. That means if someone wants to dispel it, that's when your saving throw matters. But at that point, you are not a... An Eldritch Knight is not a wizard. Mm. That's the important thing to remember there. They have spells. It happens to use intelligence. Which was the thing about Perdition using the Magic Initiate. When I selected the spells... None of the spells that I selected used a magic stat to attack or cause the other people to defend based on a magic stat. They were shield, which just happens, because mm -hmm. he was a tiefling, so he already had thaumaturgy. So I had thaumaturgy, prestidigitation, and I think mage hand. Mm -hmm. So they were all functionality things. They're not things that people are ever really making a save Maybe, based yeah. on. The, oh, sorry. The horrible thing that I thought of before yes. is we're talking a lot higher levels here. Mm. If you took Rogue mm. up to Arcane Trickster, that would give you a couple more level one spell slots to play with, wouldn't it? No. No, it wouldn't. Okay. It's only Warlocked pack slots. Behave uh, differently. They behave differently. Okay. Everything else, there is a table somewhere on page, Simon, fill this in for me, of the player's handbook... I won't be able to do that. You'll have to look up what page it is. <laughs> it's in the spellcasting section. This is all good content. This is great content. I don't even know what you're on about. It's tense. Could be anything. Flipping. Spell levels. No, it's under multi-classing. Okay, half-casters. You determine your available spell slots by adding together all your levels in the Bard, Cleric, Druid, Sorcerer, and Wizard classes. Hmm. Half your levels in Paladin round Ranger classes, rounded down, and a third of your Fighter or Rogue levels, rounded down, if you have the Eldritch Knight or the Arcane Trickster. So if you take three levels of Arcane Trickster, that counts as you being one level of a full spellcaster. Right, okay. Artificer, if I remember correctly, is different because it's rounded. If you take three levels, you're actually a second level spellcaster. The reason I was thinking about Arcane Trickster is because you get, obviously you get sneak attack. Check sneak right. attack damage at level one is not so important because you wouldn't primarily, unless we're using your Booming Blade build, would you be able to factor that into the first attack of that? Because Booming Blade is a spell. Yes, you can, because oh, it uses okay. a finesse weapon. Because right. you still make an attack as part of the Booming Blade. Where I'm not clear is whether you can actually use a bonus action attack with your offhand weapon when you cast Booming Blade. Okay. That's up for debate. I'm not entirely sure. So what I was thinking is, yeah. you've got your first level is sneak attack bonus to mm. what you were doing. Yeah. Second level gives you dodge, hide, and a couple of other things. Dodge, as dash, disengage, and hide. 
Yep. Dodge, dash, dip, dodge, and dodge again. Yeah. It gives you all of those as... Dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> gives you all of those as a bonus action. It's a good film. Watch it's, Dodgeball. It is, it is a good yeah, film. Watch I don't dodge, like the ending, but Watch Dodgeball. Dodge You've then got those as bonus actions, which we were saying was a problem with the build. You're going to get yourself in trouble with this build. You're going to want to get out of trouble. If you can disengage as a bonus action and run away from these kinds of combat yeah. without incurring an attack of opportunity... You only need two levels of rogue because I started off thinking those two levels of rogue would be useful to add to that so you could get yourself out of trouble. But then I started thinking, oh, could you take Arcane Trickster to get extra? But obviously you can't. Taking Arcane Trickster is worth it entirely. Just have an extra D6. I think it's an extra D6 of um, stabby damage. Oh, that's what I was looking at. I was going to look up the Artificer thing. Let's, let's find that first before I forget what I'm doing. Right. You get an extra D6, I think of stabby damage and you get the dodge dash dodge dip dive and dodge the arcane trickster by taking three levels allows you to catch up one level of spell casting that you would otherwise have lost by okay. taking the two levels of rogue so i'm not saying it's not worth doing it mm. just doesn't give you that extra on top it gives you uh, one level of spell casting back so if you do this at level say you take level six so you've got your extra attack and then mm. you take three levels of spellcasting, you will now technically be a seventh level character in terms of spellcasting. It helps you, helps you to catch up a little bit with, yeah. with what you've done. I'm just going to find the Artificer thing. Yes, add half your levels rounded up in the Artificer class to the appropriate mm. levels from other classes to determine your available spell slots. Because Artificer, it's designed to be good at multiclassing, isn't it? There's, yes. There's a couple of things that complement multiclassing. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, if you're playing any wizard... One level of Artificer first to get armor proficiencies and to get constitution and intelligence as your proficiency mm. saving throws. It's really good. You can the, take too many levels of Artificer, but yeah. The other thing that I thought about that is taking three levels so you get the magic suit of armor. Because that would be quite useful for this build, wouldn't it? The, of armorer? Yeah, armorer. No, you can't because Blade Dancer specifically says. Why well, you're not wearing armor? Medium or heavy? Medium or heavy. You are allowed to wear light armor. armor you can wouldn't... use light armor as your armor for armorer. Admittedly, as soon as you think armorer, you go, I'm Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. Immediately. I, I mean, we've already had this discussion, but armorer, it specifically says it's magical armor that is summoned using magic. So to me, you're not Iron Man. You're a magical girl doing an anime style transformation complete with wand into your battle suit. I tried to get Katie to be an armorer. And she was like, no, I want a little pet. And I was like, no, sweetheart, you could have a magical girl transformation sequence. And she was like, well, it's all imaginary, so no, I can't. So I'm taking I'm taking my metal pet. And Artemis has been very useful. He He's great. We've kind of touched on the, the future of the build, multi-class. Would you multi-class specifically? I think, I think it would be reassuring to look into other things because I kind of feel like unless you're just looking at those d8 hit dice from a rogue well, and an artificer <laughs> the thing that I'm looking at is level six I wouldn't because you hit level six and then you get your yeah. second attack which yeah. is essential again I don't know if it's that essential for the version of the build that I had because it revolves mostly around casting that level one spell yeah. and doing a ton of damage with that so would you really need that extra weapon attack? Yes, 
Because when you run out of first level spell slots and some little goblin comes up to you... You can cast Toll the Dead. You can cast Toll the Dead on someone over there and then still hit the goblin next to you. That's where it becomes... It's an action economy thing. It's an action... Basically, you start getting a... You could see it as you're a wizard who gets a free melee attack as a reaction if there's someone next to them after casting a cantrip. Mm. It's not quite how it works because your reaction isn't used up, but you get what I'm trying to say. It's... I think if I was to, yeah. to multi-class, it would be to take something that would increase the survivability of the build and make it less squishy. I think if we weren't looking at this as a Kenku, the dwarves, for example, you've got dwarven toughness where you get an extra point per level. Mm-hmm. There's you, always the tough feat. Yeah, there's the tough feat you could add to it at higher levels if you found that the hit points were really a problem. Obviously, if you've got an understanding DM, you can look at some homebrew around that. Well, it should be pointed out, we're using the average. We don't mm. roll for our stats. We don't roll for the, the hit, hit points. points either. Yeah. And that's a choice, A, because we would do this once a week, but to streamline it. Well, I think also so that anyone listening who thinks, oh, that's a good, you know, they can replicate okay. it exactly, exactly without too much yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. So your choices are, would you take Rogue? Would you take Fighter? Would you take Artificer? And there is a rare case to take one level of monk because then you get your bonus action punch and if you've got a decent enough wisdom stat you get that added to your AC that that makes the equation more complicated but I think two levels of rogue because I mean I didn't take spirit shroud on my version Mm. but I probably would take that so that I would have that trick with booming blade spirit shroud blah 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 yeah 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 I would take that because then you're adding the sneak attack bonus. On you're top you're throwing well. the sneaking sneak attack bonus into there as well. Also, second level in Rogue then gives you all of those bonus actions so that you can get away. So that you can disengage as a bonus action is going to be a big thing for that character. It's also worth pointing out that at level 7 you have access to haste. Mm. And that becomes three attacks around with Spirit Shroud. And that becomes really useful. So I would probably take it... Going into this, I wanted Alinar to be a straight wizard. Right, that was the mindset I had. If I was going to multi-class, I probably would choose... I probably... ah, It's so difficult. My thinking of it is I just think, how would I feel playing this character? And the way I would feel is terrified of every incoming attack. So if I was going to multi-class or I was going to look at how I would progress the character forwards, Mm -hmm. I would want to take more things that make this character more resilient, that make it more Uh, able to deal with That's why I have... That's why I'm thinking about it. I would have to take three levels for Eldritch Knight. Mm. Three levels of Fighter for Eldritch Knight. Just to have three levels of D10 hit dice. I mean, if you took those two levels of Fighter... You got action surge as well. Oh god, you can action surge uh, inflict wounds. <laughs> that's really awful. <laughs> that's hor- That's a horrible thing to do to any DM. You get your whole action again. No, no, screw your idea, right? Yeah. If I'm hasted and I've got action surge and um, I've got spirit shroud, oh no, I wouldn't be able to have spirit shroud and haste because they're both concentration. And but. most importantly, with that, you've got. What's the first level heal? Fighters get second wind. You've got second wind as an emergency yeah, heal. that's the thing though, isn't yeah. it? But I would take the dueling fighting style to add the plus two to my attacks. Mm. I wouldn't take haste. I would stick with spirit shroud because it's more reliable. Which is the one? Is it dueling that gives you a bonus to AC when you're wielding a one-handed? There's something that gives you a bonus to AC when you're just wielding a one no, weapon. that is. I believe you're thinking about the dual wielding feat or the dual wielder fighting style, which is a plus one to AC. When I'll have you a have... look. I, th- I feel like there's a Tasha's bullshit style. Is there a Tasha's bullshit? Have a look. 
Let's have a look at some. Yeah, it was Wikidot that went down. So I was trying to look it up, and it was like, yeah. The... Oh, I thought you were being. Um, I thought you were being sort of conscientious and didn't want to name the. No, no, I just, <laughs> I just couldn't remember it. Uh, let me have a look. I mean, there's defense. While you're wearing armor, you gain a plus one bonus to AC. Yeah, dueling is the plus plus two to damage. Oh, it's really difficult though. Would I take? Okay, survivability. I'm taking fighter. It's a solid choice. It's. You just you get so much from Arcane Trickster, though. You get yeah. to turn your mage hand invisible. You get to disengage as a bonus action. If you have Spirit Shroud on, plus your 2d6 sneak attack, mm. if, if you can get sneak attack that round, you're looking at 5d8 plus 2d6 plus 4, there's plus almost, your dex. Just, yeah. just so much damage, you can't ignore that. There's almost an argument for taking the three levels of Rogue to get Arcane Trickster to make up for the loss on the spell casting and then take the two levels of fighter you're costing yourself five levels so i think that would only be viable if you were building based on this for a high level character like if you were starting at level 10 or which i know that's very rare there's almost an argument to do that but then you're starting to get you'd into still the have, kind you of you would only be able to i think you would take the three levels of arcane tricks the first mm. and you would only have one level of fighter which still gives you second wind but in that case we've moved farther heck away from the point of this is a wizard first and yeah. that's what you have to remember I, I know that I'm sat here going oh you can add a 2d6 munchkin 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 do I want to do that on a wizard for that's, those that's it, I yeah. could get haste and put that on the barbarian I could take dimension door in that time and I'm sure there are spells you could look at which oh, would give you some of the functionality of those things hello buddy it's dog again. Thinking about it, I probably took Spirit Shroud because I like the idea of a fighty wizard. Yeah. But I don't know whether I would actually do it. Which is, I guess, the difficulty of... You can kind of start to stray away and... That's the... It's good looking at these things as we generate the first three level and then you can multi-class an extra two level to take it up to five if you want. It kind of sets a limitation to stop these kinds of discussions we're having now where you think... Oh, but if I took three levels of Warlock, I could get... Like, when you said before, packed levels work differently, my first thought was, oh, well, you could take some levels in Warlock so that you get extra first-level slots that regenerate on a short rest. Yeah, you could. Yeah, there's so many you-could things. At a certain point, you have to kind of Occam's razor cut it off and say, okay, we could do all of that, but what's... You know what are you getting? What are you getting from it, or how far are you straying from what you're playing? Um, Which, if you're playing, if you're playing as a character who's a wizard, then at some point you just have to accept. You know, I'm not going to get the extra sort of action per turn no. unless I cast a spell. And if I'm going to cast a spell to do that, then I need to be a higher level wizard. Would you play this build? I think I would be too scared to play this build as it is. <laughs> I've said it a couple of times, would get murked. The only reason that spellcasters that I've played like this work is because I've done things like moving out of the way or moving behind cover and yeah. having somebody else in the party who is up front and a bigger threat. Not necessarily a bigger threat, but a more immediate threat that needs to be dealt with first. I would worry with this build that the hit points are there too much of a problem. 
if you've got a cleric who's got aid like i say if the cleric is willing to sacrifice part of their build to doing things like aid and propping you up and mebby's armor of faith and things like that mm-hmm. if they're willing to sacrifice spell slots and abilities to do that for you they could make you a lot more effective in this role and you might have more mm-hmm. fun my summary on would i play this build is i would get this poor kenku killed would you play it for a one shot just to see because not, one- not to denigrate a one shot but a one shot is kind of our fuck it and see yeah you can be very, you can be silly with a one shot and you can be silly with the builds you come up with because you don't have to worry about maintaining the spell slots for the rest of the day or for the rest of the next couple of sessions or something mm-hmm. you can create a silly build where you can burn through everything mm-hmm. showing off the build you've made to your friends and everybody can go oh man that was crazy because we pulled off this Mm -hmm. in a one shot and uh, you know like you say not to denigrate a one shot at all because they can be incredible fun if you approach them with this mindset of like a burner D&D game so I don't think I not long term if we were building for a higher level Uh, and I could fit those two levels of rogue in to run away I think two levels of rogue for me rogue is is the better one for me probably would you take the three just to catch up on spell slots yeah I think so minutely I think so my current feeling and this may change as the show goes on is I don't want to multi-class into more than one thing because I kind of feel like then you're starting to get into the oh well I can take two levels of this and get this and two you know you start to get a bit cheesy with the build uh, after that point I think with multi-classing when you take something like Bladesinger 6 or you might even just take Bladesinger 2 just to get the intelligence added to your Mm, uh, to your armor. Thank you. And then go artificer all the way, or take artificer and add wizard on top, and then take fighter yeah. and rogue. You're talking about something really specific. Like if you're playing a one shot, and you know it's going to be a boss rush kind of thing, and you need to take everything down as quickly as possible before the next yeah. boss shows up. Then yeah, I want to be able to action surge, booming blade, haste, disengage, sneak attack. I yeah. want all that. But that's so specific. And the wizard as a whole, and not to pigeonhole wizards, I'm sure they're lovely people, but you kind of want to be able to do a bit of everything. Mm. A bit of blasty, a bit of battlefield control, a bit of, oh no, get someone out of there. And I think the blade singer, the point of it is to be something a bit more specific. That's mm. great, but I would also have to make sure that my party included a cleric or a sorcerer or a blasty druid or a bard that really knew what it was doing I almost to make feel, up for the failings. I almost feel like if you had this character in your party, you would need to have a healer and a backup healer like a bard or someone who's taken feats, like another class that's taken a weird subclass that lets them heal a little bit to really get away with this character um, but then and you're even, you're playing the main character at that point and that's yeah. not dungeons and dragons for the, it's a difficult yeah. build and the cons of it are something you would definitely have to weigh up that said we've reached the end hey do you want to oh, i'm already here this is my only bloody job on this podcast <laughs> simon edits it and uploads it and does everything else i turn up talk for three hours and then piss off right randomize this is always nerve-wracking. What have we got here? Oh. Right. It's always a good uh, sign when Steve is giggling uncontrollably. 
How how dyslexic are you feeling today? Somewhere between very and all. Okay. I want you to try and read their last name. I'm sorry, Sonny. Vivir Holdelfiax. Would you say that's a fair reflection? Vivir Holdelfiax. Yes, that's really good. Oh, Dragonborn. Class. Aberrant Mind Sorcerer. Oh, Dragonborn Sorcerer. It hasn't given us an ancestry, has it? Do we want to go with the ancestry it's given us? Because it's Dragonborn, I would say that's part of the race. I would say the dragon ancestry is part of the race. Do you reckon? There's an argument to say that it's part of the origin because you're saying it's from a specific dragon and if it's told you which dragon. Yeah, but but now I can't make it a gem dragonborn. That's what I mean. Is Strictly speaking, it just says race, class and subclass. Let me just check one thing. Are there two dragonborns on here? Ah, so it is specifically the dragonborn from the player's handbook. In which case you can choose the origin. I think it says in the background, when generating it, you choose what background it comes from. It's just given me one, and it says Silver Dragon. It doesn't matter, though, what one we choose, because it's an aberrant mind sorcerer, which means we want to be doing psychic damage, and we can't choose Gem Dragonborn. Because otherwise we could just say, no, I want to use a Wood Elf instead of an Eladrin in the first episode. So I think we go for what it says. So it's a Silver Dragonborn, aberrant mind sorcerer. Oh, this is going to be fun. Well, we do customise background, because it does generate a background for us, but I mm. feel as though we don't want to provide the same thing, because otherwise we're just hanging up with the same build. So we get to customise our background. It's only race, class and subclass that's generated for us. Yeah, that's that's why I was looking at the, the specific wording in here. I don't think it matters which ancestry we choose. I don't think it matters, and if we want to back it up with rules as written, you have draconic ancestry. Choose one type of dragon from the Draconic Ancestry table. So we told it to roll a race, and the race says, choose one type of dragon. But it chose it. No, D&D chose it, but D&D choosing it is not part of the race. To me, that's no different to it choosing... Well, we're talking about the Kenku here. It's no different to if D&D Beyond accidentally generated the language that your Kenku knows. Yeah, okay. You know, those are choices that you get with that race. So for Dragonborn, I think we're on the same page where we can choose. Okay. Rules is written, it says we can choose. I- I'm going to stick with what it gave me. Okay. And I'm going to base it around that. As a challenge. The thing is, I might not change it. If I do change it, I'll probably change it to, to Black Dragon, just because acid is useful. I'm That's just... me. My, my brain is going, elemental adept, elemental adept, yeah. elemental adept. Which stack. I know is actually not the best way of doing it. But. Just stack as many ridiculous things as you want. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank you. Um, play the outro. I will do. Put it in at the end. I might. What if we don't have one? What if this week it just fades to silence? I don't think it will. Okay. Bye. He keeps me in a box. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build Bard Workshop with myself, Stephen, Simon, and Frodo the dog. All properties and settings belong to the relevant parties. Produced by Steve and Simon and edited by Simon. Music is Dancing at the Inn by Kevin MacLeod and is available at freepd.com. And remember, respect your elf before you wreck yourself. Nope, 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 nope. Munchkin, munchkin, munchkin.